The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. God, we say thank you to the truth that was just sung, spoken of. You are God who meets us in the midst of sorrow and carries us, cares for us. And as we'll see in this passage, as was already said, the ultimate problem at the very bottom level is sin, and you have dealt with that. You've provided a remedy for it, and we say thank you. We, we praise you for that. God, you are good. And while we deal with with different difficulties and hardships and sorrows in life that come from different sources. Well, I'm, I'm mindful that those of us gathered here, we, we may be facing a wider range of, of difficulties. Would you please meet each person here personally in a particular way as they need to communicate your grace to them, draw them to you, give comfort Give hope. Lord, this morning as we talk about one particular kind of suffering and its source, would you help us to think well about it and to apply it well to our lives? You've given us your word, Lord, that we would know you and would grow in you. And and I pray, open it now to us. And as we are coming from all kinds of different places, and and myself, as as I... I deal with my own soul that feels distracted and scattered. Would you draw us together and give us a focused attention to what your Spirit wants to say through the Word? Help us to listen and to attend to your Word, your talking to us. Help your truth to shine here. Make it clear. Make it apparent. Cause it to to pierce into our hearts and to rest there for our growth and for our good. And Father, would You glorify Your Son, uh, who is the subject of this psalm. Would You glorify Him in our minds. Would You cause our hearts to sing and enjoy over Him. And would You draw us to Him and, and... and for those of us who are, who are Christians here this morning, would you produce something in us that is, that is a little more, a, a little greater, a, a deeper trusting and dependence on Him? That, that glorifies Him, but it also is our good. And I pray you'd produce that this morning amongst your people. And those here who don't know you, Father, would you call them? Would you, would you bring conviction where needed? Encouragement and hope where needed? Would you speak through your word to the glory of your Son and for the good of your church. Build your church, I pray, by your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we turn this morning to Psalm 80, we find another psalm on this theme that we've been looking at of suffering and deliverance. Most of these psalms, these songs of worship, these poems, that's what the psalms are, they're, they're Poetic songs, most of them in this section of the Psalter, 
are related to this theme of, of suffering or hardship in some way or another. And then most of them contain an element of, of hope or here's, here's how that gets resolved. Here's what we do with that. So a little bit of both of those ideas. And, and this morning our Psalm, Psalm 80 is no exception. And it introduces actually an additional element into the mix. We've, been, we've mentioned this before, but we have not directly encountered it. Suffering or affliction or hardship, whatever word you choose there, that has come about because of one's own sin. Because of our own sin. We've talked about suffering and hardship that comes about because of our own righteousness. Psalm 73, you'll recall, dealt with a, a, a writer who's suffering because he's righteous in, in a world that isn't. And as he strives to, to hold on to God, he's ridiculed and persecuted for that. We've also dealt with Psalm 77, for instance, the day of trouble where there's hardship and suffering that doesn't come from any identifiable root. Can't be traced to anything that we've done or haven't done. Just as kind of happened. And this morning, though, we touch on something that we've alluded to but have not addressed directly. You recall that I've said a few times that these psalms, most of them were written during the exile, and most of them have this, this background of the people of God kicked out of the land of Canaan and imprisoned in a foreign country. Why? Because of their sin. So we've touched on this before, but we haven't directly addressed it as Psalm 80 does. We're going to look at this and draw from it help for us as well. Because, well, we're not Psalm 80 directly. We're not Israelites imprisoned in a foreign country. We haven't been kicked out of our land. We're not there directly. But the issue that they're dealing with is our issue as well. How do we deal with the suffering that is due to our own sin? And whether you're a Christian or not, we all still sin. And sin leads to death and destruction and pain. We need to figure out how to deal with that. And God, fortunately, has provided a remedy. Give us some guidance and some help here. So that's where we're going this morning. Let me read all of Psalm 80. And I'll pass back through it to make sure that we understand it before making a couple of overarching observations. So this is Psalm 80. He writes, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade. The mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? 
The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. psalm is divided into three sections by that repeated verse with with slight variations in in 3 and 7 and then at the end in 19. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Slight variations. Three times in there. Repeated for emphasis. He's obviously looking for something. Pleading with God. Pleading with God. Which is what the whole psalm is. It's a repeated asking of God. Come and help. Come deliver Verses 1 to 3 especially get at that. Give ear. L- listen, please. Shine forth. Stir up your might. God, come. Help. Look what he's described. He's, he's the shepherd. Which indicates he's got a heart to care for and lead his people. And so, so the psalmist is talking to him, mindful that God does care for us. And he's the one who is enthroned upon the cherubim. Now, there's an allusion there to the Ark of the Covenant, which you may know was, was this box that was at the center of all of the, the worship of Israel. I'm simplifying here. But it was a special sacred box that in this box, God had placed his law. And over the top, he had built these two cherubim that are angelic beings. Heaven, if you will, looking down at the created order where the law of God has been given. And then God dwelt in a little cloud right there with the cherubim, signifying heaven, looking down, reigning over everything. So he says, you're the God who reigns holy over this law. And you're the shepherd who is inclined to help us. So please, Step in and fix the situation. Stretch out your mighty hand and restore us, O God. First section. Because we need it. The second section. Verses 4 to 7 elaborate on that. Lord God of hosts. He adds in a little more there. A term of power. The host is a a large army. You're the Lord God of the armies of heaven. You have great power. And we're in a predicament. How long will you be angry with your people's prayers? Literally, how long will you smoke with wrath? Smoke with anger at your people's prayers. They're praying, yet he's angry. Why is that? Wouldn't he be pleased with prayer? Well, it's because of who they are. You, you recall from the book of Deuteronomy, as, we, as we've been reading through there, we preached that whole book, that the people of God in the Old Covenant, by and large, are externally connected to God, but not internally, not in the heart. 
Their hearts are far from Him, even while their lips speak praise and honor to Him and make requests of Him with hearts far from Him. So the praying really is hypocrisy. Kind of heaping wood onto the fire of God's wrath. And He's angry with them. The psalmist knows it and says, How long, Lord? You have fed us with the bread of tears. Given us that to drink as well. Tears. There's sorrow. There's misery coming from God to this people because of their sin. You've caused us to be a contention among our neighbors. Probably alluding to the fact that when Israel was carried away into slavery, everybody who was around them kind of entered into bickering, divvying up the spoils, if you will. Here's this, here's this wealthy, fertile land who has been punished and carried away. You know, we'll take this and we'll take this. And they enter into fighting amongst themselves over the leftovers. I mean, we used to be this strong country with, with your favor here in the middle. And now we're, we're what everybody's fighting over to control. God, help. We've been laid low Would you restore us, O Lord God of hosts, and let your face shine upon us? That's the second section. And the third section states the problem again in a different way. Using an image that those of you who are studying the book of Isaiah probably know. Picks us up from Isaiah, this idea of the vine. God, you you brought a vine out of Egypt. And and hear hear the story of the Exodus in this. You brought a vine out of Egypt and you cleared all of the ground and you established this vine, this, a vineyard, if you will. You did a good job. You planted it, it took root, and it spreads everywhere. So he's getting at in 8 through 11 there. It sent out its shoots, its branches spread all over the place, covered everything, all the way to the west, reaching to the sea, all the way to the east, reaching to the river, uh, the heights of the land, the trees, the mountains, covered Everything's going just marvelously, it seems. So, what are you doing when you tear down the wall and expose it to all the beasts of the field? The image of a vineyard. You, you would put up a, a wall around a vineyard to keep out all the wild animals so they wouldn't come in and, and eat the grapes if it's a grape vineyard. Well, God built this thing, sets it up, it's spreading. And then he tears down the wall so that it can be destroyed. He's done it. And when he says why, he's not asking about on what grounds did you do this. He knows Moses was really clear. Isaiah is really clear. God has done this because of their sin. But he's asking about purpose. What are you up to? What are you doing? Why? I know why, but why? Would you please turn? Would you, notice the turning, verse 14, would you, God, turn to us? Would you turn back and have regard, that's have a positive regard for this vine, and fix it, restore it, turn its circumstances? Turn again and restore us. Look down from heaven. Look on this and... And it's really hard for us, with our perspective, to, to not start thinking when we see this language, isn't it? Have regard for this vine, for this son, 
for this man of your right hand, for this son of man that your right hand has strengthened. That the psalmist is talking about Israel. He throws in there in the middle. They have burned it with fire. They've cut it down. I mean, he's talking about this, the state that this people is in. And his language, though, is really elastic. Stretches, and we know where it goes. But he's asking, God, would you please have regard for this vine, for this Son of Man? And when you do, 18, then we shall not turn back. We shall not go away from you anymore. Give us life and we'll call on your name. And the grammar there indicates a habitual thing, not not a one and done sort of deal. Have regard for this Son of Man. And when you do, then we will stick with you and not go away. We'll stick with you habitually. Give us life. And when you do, we will call on your name habitually and not depart. Restore us, O God. Shine forth and save. That's the psalm. That's the plea of the psalm. A repeated request for God to restore His people from the predicament that they got themselves into because of their own sin. Which applies to us. Because we get ourselves into predicaments due to our own sin. And we suffer from that. To different degrees, in varying ways, and we'll, we'll get into that. But all of us, Christian or not, we all face and encounter hardship or suffering or sorrow, whatever language you want to use, due to our own sin. And this is our plea as well to God. God, help fix this, please. Help. A request made to God, if you walk through here, God, would you stir up your might? God, would you shine? Would you restore? A request made to Him because He's the one who has to do it. He must act. We don't restore ourselves. It's a need we all face. And He has acted to address it. I'm going to make two observations about what God has done and then what we are to do in response. Our plea, God, would you act to restore your people? And so here's the first observation. God has, in fact, acted to restore His people by planting a new vine. He has acted to restore His people by planting a new vine. This psalm is obviously about the trouble that that Israel's gotten into. It's heavy with this vine analogy here. You brought this vine out and you planted it and it was going really well at first, right up until it wasn't. So, help, fix this. That's our need. That's their need. Not in an identical way. We need to think, think about this a little bit. The basic issue we all face, sorrow and suffering from our sin, may be in tangible and in immediate ways. Example, perhaps... Perhaps you live not loving people 
not considering the needs of others is more important than your own as the Bible commands you. And what that does is it ruins your marriage. Or it ruins your relationship with a friend or with your kids or with your parents. Bible's clear. God's clear. We don't do it. And in a very immediate and tangible way, there's a consequence that produces all kinds of sorrow. If you've ever thought about this for a second, clearly our sin ruins life. Our sin. And it even, when your sin impacts me and then I respond to it sinfully, then you respond to that sinfully and I respond to your sin to my sin, the consequences are incredible right here, right now in this life. Sin is at the root of so much of our suffering. But more importantly, and closer to what the text is getting at, our sin, your sin, sets you at odds with God. Which is not something we like to talk about. But from birth, from birth, and so kids... You're 10 years old and you're sitting here. From birth, it doesn't matter that you're, you're young. All of us from birth, with our hearts turned away from God, are set at odds to Him. Which means that He is angry with us regardless of all the religious activity that we do. From birth. We can pray, we can go to church. This, this is sobering, but it's real. Maybe for some, even in this room at this very moment, it is still where you are. Set at odds with God because of your sin. And the, the sorrowful consequences from that, perhaps they haven't broken out right now, right yet. But God is storing up a whole cup full of sorrow, of an eternal sorrow. That is coming to all of those who are at odds with Him because of their sin. Maybe that's you. It's, it's not most of us, I, I know. But we need to be clear that whether it's in the immediate, tangible ways of how our sin affects, say, our relationships, or if it's, a, if it's in a, a spiritual sense, sin leads to sorrow. And so our... Our plea here, along with the psalmist, is God, would you help with that? Would you fix that? Shine forth. Stretch out your arm. Do something to save us from it. How's He going to do that? Not, not just with a simple do-over. I think... Sometimes we look at the, the situation that we're in, the suffering that we're going through, the hardship that we've brought upon ourselves, and, and really what we want is to just get out of that and come back over to here before that all happened. A do-over. The problem with a do-over is that you'll do it over again. It is, it is no help for God to only address the consequence and not address the root led to the consequence. It is no help. 
He, he cannot take, in the Psalms situation, he cannot take this nation out of Babylon, bring it back to Israel, and think that everything's going to be great this time around. They did that. Nothing different happened. Jesus comes 400 years later and still finds a people whose lips say one thing and whose hearts are far from Him. He is not going to answer the psalmist's plea by just giving them a do-over and taking them out of captivity, removing the suffering, and putting them right back where they were before. He's going to address the root. Sin. Which means He's going to address the heart that produces sin. Sin comes from the heart. Sin is not activity. Sinful activity comes from a sinful heart. He's going to address the heart. Well, how is He going to do that? Well, the psalmist tells us in all this language in 13, 14 and following, 14, 15 and following, that we know where it's going. We read this language. Okay, so what, what, what do we want you to do, God? Oh, would you look down and have regard for this vine, for this son, for this son of man? Who is he talking about? When God establishes this vine, then we will be fastened to you and will not turn away from you. The sin problem will be dealt with when He establishes this vine. Who is that? John 15. John 15, you can write this down and look at it later. Verse 1, this is on the night that Jesus was betrayed. And with his 11 faithful disciples, he's walking out of the city, going out to the Garden of Gethsemane where he would be betrayed. Some say they might have been walking past some, a mural or a, a motif or something on, on the walls of the temple. Nobody knows for certain. But this vine idea was prevalent in architecture of the day. Maybe he was looking at that when he made the comment in John 15.1. He said to his disciples, you know what? I am the true vine. And my Father is the vine dresser. And then in verse 5 he says again, I am the vine, you are the branches. You faithful eleven. He's grabbing this imagery from the Old Testament. It's here, it's in Isaiah, it's in Hosea. You know who the vine is? The Son, the Son of Man. Jesus' most common self-descriptor, the Son of Man. You know who that is, guys? It's me. I am the one this is all looking forward to and hoping for. So the psalmist plea, God help us. God have regard for this vine and replant it. And when you do, then we will be fastened to you. It is answered in Jesus. God has acted to restore His people by planting a new and better vine. Jesus. Which is important. Think through how, how this applies to Jesus. God does not just overlook sin. God is angry with the vine because of the sin. And I realize that the language, this is, it, it's a metaphor here, okay? So you've got to track the language and not get too hung up on the, on the exact details. God is angry with the vine because of the vine's sin. And He sends then to the earth His Son. 
God the Son who becomes the new vine and steps in and takes the anger of God. Destroyed. Hung on a cross. Under the anger, under the burning wrath of God. Hung on a cross for sin. Not His own, but for those who would trust Him. And then God's face changes, turns, like the psalmist asked, turn again and look down and have regard for this vine. He did. His face turned. It had turned away from the sun, and now it turns back to Him in pleasure. And He, with His right hand, establishes Him and plants Him firmly, solidly, well. Planted a new vine to deal with the sin problem that leads to and causes all of our suffering. It's important that we see this, that we get this, because what it's saying is there is no other restoration, there is no other salvation, there is no other remedy for the problem of sin anywhere in the world but in this vine, Jesus. None. It is very focused on Jesus alone. So it it should lead us not only to give thanks to God for what He's done, but to to zero in. And if you're here this morning and you have not yet come to Christ, you must hear this. This is the only way that God will deal with sin. No other way. He either deals with it in Jesus or His anger remains upon you no matter how much you pray, no matter how much you give, no matter how much you go to church. Only two options. So we need to see what this is pointing to Jesus for this focusing sense, but there's another reason here which kind of comes to me as I ask this question. And maybe this doesn't appear this way to you, but it did to me. Isn't the isn't a vine kind of an odd metaphor to talk about dealing with sin and the cross and guilt? I can get things like kings and judgment and justice and punishment, but how do vines get into that? That didn't make any sense to me, so I asked, what's the point of the vine metaphor? When we talk about, when you read Psalm 8 and you see words like save and and help and restore and you connect the connection of Jesus, you, you know where this is going. If you're a Christian, you know this is going to somehow be about Jesus restoring and Jesus saving. But we talk about that message in a slightly different way here, and it colors something. How? Well, I have a vine in my yard that the previous owner planted. I'm sure lots of you do. To be more accurate, I should say that my neighbor and I have a vine in our yards that the previous owner planted. And it's all over our fences, all over my retaining wall, crept into my vegetable garden, run through his rose bushes, creeps onto his driveway, has actually broken through his cinder block garage wall, There's another vine right next to it that has 
climbed up and overcome this massive pine tree in his yard and is coming down one of the branches and now begin to descend onto my shed. Those things adequately fed take over. Right? There is nothing static about a vine. It doesn't stay in the little pot. Now, I've been pouring tons of chemicals on this one. <laughs> and I don't bother mixing it with water. I just take it right out of the bottle. <laughs> I'm knocking it back a little bit. But I have not been able to kill it yet. It keeps popping up. It's popping up over there and over there. I mean, it's, it is still... I mean, I found the four-inch diameter core vine and with my drill bore holes into it and poured the concentrate. And I killed that piece and I thought, got it. Nope. Pops up over here and over there. It's 20 feet that way, 40 feet that way. Just like a vine that God brought out of Egypt and planted and it took roots, it took root and it spread everywhere over the high places in the land, as far as it could go to the west, as far as it could go to the east, spreading everywhere that it went, a knowledge of God. But unfortunately, that vine was rotten at the core, and so it spread lies, false fruit everywhere. Right idea, wrong vine. And so he uprooted that and has planted a new one. And we, as his branches... We're supposed to read this analogy and get the point. God's goal is to plant something that goes like this. Everywhere. Properly nourished with the right heart now, thanks to the work of this vine. With the right heart and sin taken out. No longer under the, the crushing plague of sin. No longer being killed and subject to its suffering, but freed from that and nourished properly so that we can flourish and spread everywhere, carrying the knowledge of the glory of the Lord to cover all of the earth as the waters cover the sea. That is His plan. A vine. Properly nourished and flourishing. Properly nourished. Vines flourish. It's going to get us to our second point. Before I leave, though, this first point, we have to understand that the vine is designed to communicate living, spreading life. It, it's a very different metaphor than shepherd and sheep, king and servant, sacrifice and atonement. It's a very different metaphor. carries life-spreading, shade, green, and many vines, fruit. Everywhere. That's what God is intending to do and has accomplished significantly by planting a new vine. He has restored us not just to some previous place, he has restored us back into perfect fellowship with Him with the mind that we will go everywhere. Properly nourished and flourishing, which is the second point. So let me expand a little further on this and I'll, I'll state the second point like this. 
trust this new and better vine for restoration in life. This is our response. That's what God has done. We are to trust this vine. Connected to Him, we find nourishment so that we can flourish. You could say this in a, in a bunch of different ways. Live with Him, trust Him, connect with Him. We could use the word like abide with Him. Remain with Him. Hold fast to Him. But inherent in that analogy of, of a vine and branches is you have a vine and when the branch connects to it, what flows into it, life does. And when it gets separated from it, nothing flows in. I have managed to kill a whole bunch of branches with some snips. Set them aside, they die. Connected though, nourishment and then flourishing. So we need to think about that in a couple different ways because some of us here have not trusted Christ for the first time and you are not connected to Him and there is no life flowing into you. There isn't. It says in 17 and 18, But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the Son of Man, whom you have made strong for yourself. Then, when that happens, we won't turn away from Him. Some of you have never experienced this. Some of you have never been connected to Him, and so you still live turned away. Continues, Give us life. And we will call upon your name. You've never been connected. There is no life flowing to you. Now, obviously, you're living and breathing, sitting right here. This isn't talking about that kind of life. It's talking about life in the soul, in the heart. Spiritual life. You don't have it. Living and breathing, but dead. But it can come connected to the vine. And so, obviously, God's call to you is to warn, I am angry with you right now, but there is life available in the vine. Turn to Him. Come. Turn, or another biblical word that describes turn, repent. It's the same word. And actually, the word used here for restore in 3 and in 7 and 19, restore, that's the word often used for repent. The word used there in 14, turn again, word often used for repent. So if you were to read this in Hebrew, you'd see this little theme here. Now, it's properly translated. But there'd be something going on in your mind as you see this word again and again and again and again. God turns to us to turn us to Him, to restore us. Turn. Find life. Most of us, though, have already closed with Him. And for us, the call to trust Him is not less urgent, but it's, it's different. When Jesus identifies Himself with the vine and, and calls us branches, He's talking to Christians. Now, yes, John 15 has a warning about those who are externally connected, but not vitally internally connected. Dead branches that are still attached to a vine or a tree. You can tell they're dead because they don't have any life in them. There's no leaves, no fruit. And there are all kinds of people who are externally connected to this vine. 
but are not alive, are not connected to him on the inside. And there's a warning about that, but, but his primary audience, he's, he's giving that to them to explain Judas, just aside. But his primary audience is the, these 11 faithful disciples, and the point that he's trying to press on them is really the, the main point that I want to press this morning. And so if you don't remember anything that I've said, you can view all of this as a really long introduction to these five minutes. Because this is, I think, critical for us as a church. So I'm talking to Christians here. I'm talking to the church here. It is not sufficient and and really not helpful even to simply understand the details of this psalm, the details of this metaphor, so you know. Who cares? I mean, really, don't you already know far more than you, than you use? I mean, what, what's the point of adding on more stuff to know? It's not relevant if you don't actually respond to it appropriately. What's the point of understanding we need restoration. God is going to act to restore by planting a new vine and then Him saying, I'm the vine, you're the branches. What's the point of knowing all that? Abide in Me. If you don't, zip happens. Jesus says that a couple different ways in John 15. He's bringing this all to the conclusion and applying it to the church, the 11 faithful disciples. I am the vine. You must abide in me. I am that son of verse 17, the man of his right hand, the son of man that he has made strong. I am the one through whom God pours life into you. If you step away from that, no life comes to you. And you can do nothing. Well, you can do all kinds of stuff, but nothing of any consequence. We cry out in our troubles. We we Christians, we don't cry out now in the midst of our troubles that that are eternal and spiritual. He has removed His wrath from us. It is no longer on us. Bless God. But we still sin day in and day out. And I talk to people day in, day out, dealing with problems from their own sin. And you do too. You live with yourself. Day in, day out, we as Christians, we still deal with problems that come from our own sin. And how does God, connect the dots here, please. I'm, I'm hoping I can communicate this clearly. Connect the dots. How does God aim to deal with the suffering and sorrow in your life that's from your sin? Abide in me. And you will bear much fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, etc. Apart from me, none. He wants to deal with the sin that's in you that leads to sorrow. How does He deal with that? You could use words like sanctification, discipleship, 
Spirit-filling, Spirit-controlling, Spirit-changing you on the inside so that you sin less. Not sinless, sin less. And produce less sorrow in your life. And when somebody sins against you, you don't respond sinfully, but you respond in peace. This is so important for us. We must be a church that abides. You must be a person who abides in Him. Which is a Bible word that sometimes we misunderstand. All it means is to live with and remain with. To stay connected to. To draw from Him life. You go to His Word and you read it. And you say, Spirit, speak to me. Show yourself to me. It's not always simple. It has not been easy for me this week. Hasn't been easy for me for a couple of weeks, to be honest. But we keep going to His Word and say, Speak to me. Show yourself to me. Live dependent and connected to Him. We must be a people like that. And to move to a second step, we must have this concept that. Our church's main point is to be a people like that and to further this ministry among us. I talk a lot about Ephesians 4. What's the pastor's job in Ephesians 4? To equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. What's the work of the ministry? This. To yourself abide and to help your brothers and sisters to abide. To further the abiding of other people who currently aren't connected at all. So the vine spreads. This is the work of the ministry. It's, it's not my job. It's my job to teach you that it's your job. Which is great because it means we have 200 people doing it rather than just one. This is bread and butter church ministry. This is the life of the church. Abiding in Christ. Drawing strength from Him. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. Would we... I would just love to see us stop trying. We individually and as a church flourish and grow... As we draw life from the vine, Jesus. It's how God saves us from suffering due to sin. Saves us initially, in an eternal sense, and then saves us day in and day out as He sanctifies us, as He grows us, matures us. So brothers and sisters, read Psalm 80, and when you cry out, Restore us, O God, in the midst of your suffering... I hope that what triggers in your mind immediately is abide in Jesus. That you skip all the way through all the details. Okay, how does this connect to this and to this and to this? And you skip to the end and say, abide in Jesus. That's how God will restore me and shine His face on me to save me from this sorrow right here today. He will meet me and He will shine on me and change me. And I will be different in the midst of this. That's not going to eliminate all suffering because not all suffering is due to our sin. But it is a wonderful remedy for a load of suffering. 
Take him up on it. God has planted a new vine from whom we are to draw life. So call upon him always. Let me pray. God, I pray that you would speak to each of us here. And we're in all different places. Those here who don't know you, Lord, would you call them to you? Would you make their mouths water so desperately for life? And to see it as in you and and to run for it. And Lord, those of us here who know you but struggle to abide, would you give us help? Would you convict that we're trying to live independent lives? Would you, would you convict us of that if that's the case? If we're struggling and fighting and, and you're not clear to us, would you, would you kind of pull back the cloud and, and show yourself? Would you give people here, very practically, would you give Christians here a thirst for your Bible and a desire to turn off the television and sit with you? Do that work, Lord, where where it's needed in individual hearts and lives. And, And I pray, make us a church that sees this ministry as abiding in You, that the vine would be nourished and would flourish. It sees this as what we are about. Make us a church like that for Your glory and for good, I pray it. In Your name, Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.